Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Greetings from September. One and all. Off-season episode number 104 brings us to our final month without a fantasy-relevant basketball game. October the 18th. We're in countdown mode. Remember we started back on Tuesday? We started the countdown seven weeks out. That ain't far, man. We are under seven weeks from the start of the NBA season. Isn't that what I did? I do this every time. What the hell am I at now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, okay. All right, we're still good. We're still good. It'll be six and a half weeks, basically, tomorrow. Late tomorrow. <laughs> Splitting hairs, I guess. Oh, boy, I can't wait. I need I need drafts to start happening. I don't know. I, I have the weird blend of emotions right now because we've done so many off-season episodes, 104 of them to be exact, since the last fantasy game back on April 10th, I think it was, this last year. And there's just all these things you look and you look and you keep trying to find what's the right combination of topics, what's the right pace. It does feel good to be digging into ADP data and mock drafts now, and I don't think we're moving away from that anytime soon. This is this is run-up time. Everything that we do between now and your fantasy draft is to figure out what order guys are going in. If you know what order they go in, you can build your team. I, I, I believe pretty strongly that you can prep for a fantasy draft in a couple of hours, which seems like kind of a dumb thing to say when I expect you to listen to two and a half hours of podcast every week right now, and it'll be more than that once the season comes around. Probably be more than that once we get into sort of the, the uh, guest acquisition part of the proceedings we do our industry mock draft in september and then we just start having folks on the show daily those are fun all right so i made a, a ballsy claim there about 45 seconds ago that you can kind of prep for a fantasy draft in a couple of hours what you can't do in a couple of hours is really understand the order of players going and so when I say you can prep for a fantasy draft in a couple of hours, I mean you can get your list together. It's just not that tough. Guys don't move that much season over season unless there are reasons to do it. So you can do a very fast what was everybody last year up arrow up or down chart. How far those arrows point. Yeah, you get into the weeds a little bit there. But ultimately... The way you build out your best team is to know what order everybody else is coming off the board. And so then you know what order you need to take the guys that you want. Feels so simple, and yet it is brutally complicated to really pull it off. Back by popular demand, we're going through some of the early rounds right now in ADP. Um, No large adjustments day over day. Um, Well, I guess that's not true. We did have a drop... In the top of the draft, Trey Young fell back behind Luka, who continues to climb. It was a little bit funny to see Luka in, like, the sixth spot at the beginning. You knew that was never going to last with him. And then the rest of this has been mostly unchanged. 
We're watching Kyrie Irving. He's no closer to Damian Lillard than he was yesterday. But but they, they are adjusting their ADPs every single day. So this is data being pumped into it on the fly. Paul George, Kawhi, they're still tied right where they were yesterday. Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, Bam Adebayo, minus Sabonis. So the end of the second round is the same as it was. The third round has seen some shifting. And Shea actually came back up a tiny bit. So uh, he's at, he's still at 28. I think he was at 28 yesterday, but I think he might... What is it? Uh, five, six... No, I guess he's still there. Um, so he finished up on Demonis Sabonis on yesterday's show, which was kind of that end-of-the-second-round territory. The third round... And it's really weird how hyper-specific now this has become. The cutoff here, the threshold, is about as clear as... Almost any spot in the draft where, like, there's a very obvious bucket change between Demonis Sabonis and the next grouping. Because then you get DeJounte Murray, where there's an arrow down. We don't really know how much. He might end up being a value here at this point, but I don't know. Are you really to ro- willing to roll the dice? You've got Bradley Beal behind him at 26, Rudy Gobert at 27, Shea Gilgis Alexander at 28. Gobert is a question mark. Beal is a question mark. Shea has tank written all over him. Darius Garland at 29, who should get off to a really good start this year because everybody else in the Cavs remains injured. But if Colin Sexton ever shows up, if Ricky Rubio ever gets back, then, yeah, they could put a little bit of a dent into it. DeMar DeRozan is at 30 right now. He's actually technically tied, I guess, with Anthony Edwards at 31. And then Freddie Van Vliet is 32, and Chris Paul is 33. This is something I don't fully understand. Now, I get it. Chris Paul is old. There's this constant expectation that he's about to fall off a cliff, but he was number 19 per game again last year. He healed exceptionally fast from his busted hand, and he finished at number 20 by totals, despite what should have been a pretty significant injury knocking him out. So he showed another, again, a level of durability we're sort of unfamiliar with in the NBA these days, despite the big injury. And Freddie Van Vliet, who's always out with nagging stuff, he was number 22 by totals and was actually out in front of Chris Paul on a per-game basis, only by a couple of slots, but he was. CP3 was 19, Van Vliet was 17. Freddie's, they're pretty different when you think about what you're getting out of your point guards, other than... 4.4 rebounds and pretty high steals. They're completely different from one another. Van Vliet is chucking threes at a low field goal percent. Chris Paul makes almost no three-pointers. His field goal percent is exceptionally high for a point guard. Pretty good for anybody these days. Both guys hit free throws, so that's, you know, moves in concert. But I wanted to move all the way to those guys, and I guess we can mention who's behind him. Uh, Pascal Siakam, 34 Jalen Brown, 35. DeAndre Ayton, 36. Time Lord now is down to 37. And Nikola Vucevic is at 38. I bring these up because, first of all, everybody's afraid of Robert Williams because of his knee stuff. He was number 13 per game last year, and ain't nobody coming for his role on that team. He played in 61 ball games. That was a problem, but he still managed 25 by totals last year. And I get it, this stuff does become a bigger issue in head-to-head if guys are missing ball games. But it is fairly surprising to me to see Robert Williams 
behind DeAndre Ayton, who, by the way, missed a crap ton of games last year himself. Ayton only played in 58 games. Missed more games than, than Robert Williams did. And Ayton was number 43 per game. Yeah, he scored more, but, I mean, otherwise, who cares? They're both... Decent foul-shooting big men in the low 70s. They're both big-time field goal percent contributors. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Aiton scored what? Four points more last year? What was he at? No, seven points more. Sorry, I guess that is substantial. But the rebounds are the same. The assists were about the same. Time Lord was actually just a tiny bit out in front there. And then Robert Williams, where Aiden was .7 steals, .7 blocks. And I, I believe me, you know, so look, let me clarify. I actually think DeAndre Aiden has a better season this year because the block total of .7 was freakishly low. But Robert Williams at 3.1 combined defensive stats, better in both than Aiden like it's not you don't need me to break it down by category one guy was 30 slots ahead of the other I don't always get why guys end up where they are Time Lord was 13 Van Vliet 17 Chris Paul 19 and yeah there's stuff hanging over all those guys but we're talking mid second round per game potential for guys that are now getting drafted at the very end of the third round or even believe it or not the beginning of the fourth Robert Williams has slipped into the fourth round now. But I get a little bit ahead of myself. I want to let me wheel the clock backwards. And we've got a couple minutes here. And that reminds me, guys, the Fantasy Pass and Sports Ethos Draft Guide are available now. Featuring more than 300 player profiles built into team previews and minute per game projections. All of that is out right now, including... Some other fun little feature pieces. Mmm. Mmm. Love them feature pieces. The great Eric Ong. Second half studs. And I dug in a little bit deeper once it came out and I actually read it. It's actually guys that were big time studs in the second half last season. Not predictions of who to squat on for this coming year. This is better. And I'll tell you why. It's basically like a sleeper piece without the word sleeper on it. These are the guys that started to play better late last year that you're able to now keep an eye on going into this coming season. You've also got Factor Fiction. We talked about that on yesterday's podcast. You've got some beginner's guides if anybody wants to go in that way. 
Steven and John put together a cash counters list, guys that have a chance to go 1-1-1 on threes, steals, and blocks, or better. We should really just call that the Rob Covington stat. Such a great way for this thing to drop. But look, ultimately what you want out of that draft guide is the ridiculous player profiles. They're so, so detailed. And the Brewski 150 coming in a few weeks. That'll just get dropped in there. So get yourself a fantasy pass. That's the best way to do it. That's the most cost-effective. Or you can get a draft guide. Less cost-effective, but sometimes you just want the stuff leading up to opening night. That's at sportsethos.com, or you can follow us all on Twitter. Again, I am at Dan Vespers over there, and I will be tweeting about it relentlessly between now and when the NBA season begins. But I wanted to turn the wheel of time back a little bit and roll towards the beginning of this third round and once again highlight how, where in that second round, you'd probably be considered a little bit goofy to go diving one bucket down or whatever nomenclature we want to use here like we talked about how Kyrie and Dame should pretty much go first in that group and then AD and Kawhi and Jimmy Butler and maybe eh, no I mean I guess you could probably lump Tyrese Halliburton in with that group a little bit and then you've got the Booker Paul George Halliburton mix and then you've got the Donovan Mitchell Demonis Sabonis Mix, followed by Bam Adebayo, who probably belongs with some of these other guys, although he has less of a question mark around him than he is just kind of a low, slow, slightly lower upside guy. The reason I wanted to outline what we talked about over the last two shows there so very quickly is that you just sort of, like, if you're in that group that's choosing between Dame and Kyrie, you don't have to really worry about, well, what are you going to do with Paul George? You don't need to. He's just not as good of a choice there. Whereas, once you get to the third round you start to see some divergence. In addition, once you get to the middle of the third round, that's when, and we talked about this on a show last week, some old man type guys. There are a bunch in the second round. We talked about that already. There's some old man value dropping in the second round. And then as you get to the late third, early fourth, there's another cluster of them. And I bring this up because... Just because they're falling there doesn't mean you have to take them there. If you have picked 28, which, as we just mentioned, Shea has been the guy at 28, and you're able to pick between Gilgis Alexander, Darius Garland, DeRozan, Anthony Edwards, Freddie Van Vliet, Chris Paul, there is nothing wrong with going Chris Paul. Even if you think you might have a chance to get him in the fourth round. I look at CP3, and we've, we've been riding that train a long time, and I'm just picking him as an example, because, like, you take him at 28, I don't think you've wiped out all of his value yet. That's all you should be concerning yourself with when you're in that moment. And I know that this is a weird thing, and I'm getting a little bit off track here, but this is into sort of the mental elements, the theory the theory of draft day strategy type of thing. Like, how do you keep your brain straight as you're pushing through this stuff? And this is one that I think it's, it's hard, perhaps, to, to quantify exactly what this means to your team on draft day. But let me see if I can explain it. I had to take a sip of water and do the big Ace Ventura breath before we dive into this thing. So what I'm talking about here 
is this idea of, hey, this guy is falling to this spot, so that's where I need to take him to maximize his value. Which, as a statement taken by itself, is probably accurate. Like Chris Paul, if he's going around 33, you know, maybe he'd fall a slot or two past that on some drafts. Point is, if you think he is a really big value at 33, then that is, yeah, that's where you'd love to take him. But what really matters is in that moment, in that moment, like if we're, again, let's go back to pick 28, meaning you have the fourth pick of the third round. So you'd be a pretty long distance back coming back in the fourth round. I think that gives you pick what, 45? 28 and then 45? Am I getting that? I'm just I'm launching that off my off the cuff. It's close to that, even if that's not right on the money. None of these guys that you're looking at on the board right here are going to get back to you at 45. None of them. The guys that you might look at and think, there's a shot, like the next one down the board that you think, oh, this guy's fallen a little bit, maybe he gets back to me, would be Robert Williams, because he appears to be trending in the wrong direction. Vooch, unlikely. Cade, no. I don't know if you want him there anyway. But, you know, as we continue to look down the board here at some of these other names, the ones that we were talking about, the guys with ADPs in the third round. So, effectively, DeJounte Murray threw, was it Aiton, or was it Robert Williams that was the end of that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It was Aiton. Aiton was 36. None of those guys is getting back to you at 45. None of them. Not Murray, not Beal, not Gobert, not Shea, not Darius Garland, not DeRozan, not Anthony Edwards, not Freddie, not Chris, not Siakam, not Jalen Brown, not DeAndre Aiton. Their ADPs are locked in pretty tight where they are for a reason. Pick 45 is a long way down the board. So you're now at pick 28, and you're basically choosing between anyone that you are certain or fairly sure isn't getting back to you. Meaning there's basically no difference between taking Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is currently lodged in that number 28 slot, or Chris Paul. There's no difference. You're not really wiping out five slots of Chris Paul value. Sure, when you look back at the end of the year, you might be like, oh, CP3 was number 21 on a per-game basis, and I took him at 28, so I got seven slots of value. But at that point, yes, technically it's accurate that you have picked 28, but in a less technical sense, you basically are making pick 28 through... 35 they are all the same when you look back at the end of the year that's what you need to teach your brain to be doing on draft night or you're going to get so caught up in oh no i can't i can't take the guy at 33 34 at 28 because you know i i had him graded out to be the guy i wanted to take at 33 or 34 you don't have that pick If you have pick 28, you don't have pick 34 in a traditional snake draft. Sorry, I'm sure one of you on this listening to this podcast is like, "Uh, but Dan, I traded my uh, fourth and fifth for pick 34. I don't care. 
If you're in a traditional snake draft where you get one damn pick per round, if you have pick 28, you do not have pick 34. So it doesn't matter that you wanted to get Chris Paul at 34. That's not your pick. Why am I yelling at all of you? Why am I getting so fired up about this particular topic? Well, it's one that I think my brain actually struggles with sometimes in the heat of the moment. In a slow draft, it doesn't really. In a slow draft, you size this all up, and you're like, okay, yeah, I can see all these guys. These are not going to get back to me. I can, this guy, check them off the board, cross this guy out, blah, blah, blah. You go through the whole process. But when that timer's at 45 seconds, and it's counting down real fast, and you're like, you hear the bloop, you know you're on the clock, and you look to see who's available, and by the time you've sized up what are the like six or seven names that you actually need to be thinking about, now you've got 25 seconds left on your clock. And yeah, you should have a queue going at this point. But so, I mean, drafts tend to go pretty fast in the early rounds, I've found, because everybody kind of has their guys that they're looking for. Regardless, time moves quick, man. You got 30 seconds left after you've sort of just assessed what's been going on around you, or maybe the guy in front of you sniped the guy you were looking at. This is also why buckets are so damn successful. Because if I'm at pick 28, and I'm looking at all of the guys that are not going to make it back to me at 45, which I believe stretches pretty much down to... I think you can safely say DeAndre Ayton. Beyond that, it's possible someone, those guys might squeeze back there once or twice. But I don't think anybody from Aiden up the board comes back to you at, at 45. So this is why kind of comparing ADPs to your own rankings makes such a large deal as well. Your pick comes up. You're on the clock. You have pick 28. Everybody through the third round in ADPs is effectively a player you can take. If there's no one on your sheet that you like in that range, then you move on to the next one. But if anybody on your sheet, your buckets, has an ADP inside the top 36 at that point, they are available to you to draft. Stop worrying about where a guy is going on your actual draft day especially if it's to your own team. This is me. I don't want to say it's like to say it's okay to reach because in my mind, reaching is if you have someone in that third round or uh, in that first three rounds in ADP that you like, and yet there's someone farther down your board that you're like, no, this is a guy that I simply cannot miss. Well, then that guy probably should have been in a higher bucket anyway. But at the same time, got a game theory that joint. That guy might get back to you. These other guys, top 36 ADPers, they won't. So you got to clean out that bucket before you move to the next one. It sounds complicated when I keep repeating it in, in slightly different words, but I assure you this is actually an easier way to do it. If you have your board divided into tiers... You should make sure that one of your tiers notates where the end of the top 36 are because that's what's not getting back to you at pick 28. These are the adjustments you have to make right as you're going into your draft. 
Unless you know you're slotted a couple days in advance. That helps quite a lot. But this is sort of the last pass you make on your draft board. The last pass is, what pick do I have? Do I pick four? Okay. Now I know what I'm working with here. My pick at pick 28, I need to be worried about pretty much everybody through pick through ADP 36. What if I have pick 11? Okay, well, now you have pick 35 in the third round. And the, the, the whole thing changes because you have 35 and you have 38. Then you got to be thinking, all right, who gets back to me at 38 instead of 35? Obviously, more guys are going to be off the board. You don't have to worry as much about what goes on in between. It's a very different monster. It's actually a bigger deal when you're coming back the other way because, you know, you have, what did we say? You picked 35. Well, you also had picked 13. Eh, 14 before that. Sorry, I got it right. 14 all the way to 35. That's where you're making a call. That's where you're going to have a lot of issues. That's why I'm, I know I, I keep saying that being towards the end of the first round is not as bad this year, but when you have to gauge that gigantic gap, it's so important to know well in advance. If you've got like, I think 15 to 20 minutes is probably enough, but two or three minutes is definitely not. If you find out that you have pick 11 you don't have the turn, so you don't have the luxury of being able to go back-to-back. You still have to worry about someone coming off the board to someone's between your two picks near the end of the first, end of the third, end of the fifth, etc. But at the beginning of the second round, you have picked 14, and now you know you're not going to see anybody again for effectively 20 slots. That one's less upsetting because at pick 14, we've already talked about this, there's these very clear delineations in the second round, but... Pick 38, when it's not coming back to you until 59. Now, at that point, you're like, okay, I got to like, I got to combine buckets. Because I'm picking at 38. Okay, great. My previous pick, I, I was at 35. So at that point, you're now already kind of looking at okay, this, these are my guys. I'm going to worry about the other stuff later. You almost just block out what's about to happen. But at the same time, at pick 38 there, you've got to be looking at who's going to make it back to you. And the answer is pretty much nobody. There's not going to be anybody that comes back your way. So that also extends how far you can go down the board. At pick 38, you're effectively making the same pick as pick 44, pick 50, pick 53, pick 55. Like, all of those are actually the same now. It's hard to, it's hard to register that. Now, maybe it doesn't go quite that far, because you say, okay, well, if I pick 38, and then my next one is 59, what are the guys that are going to 100% be off the board before my pick comes back to me? It's not as clear once you get into these middle rounds. It's probably like all the way through, I don't know, like Jared Allen at pick 49 or something like that. But it does give you a little bit of wiggle room at pick 38. Do I want to go down and take the guy who has an ADP of 47? You should feel okay with that because you're never going to have another chance to do it. And if you have someone down ADP that at 47 that you have ranked higher than someone with an ADP of 38, that's when you go get him. Game theory. So nice 
probably should do a podcast on just how nice it is to know what your draft slot is more than five minutes before the draft starts. I don't think I would. I, I think that every league that I've run over the last half decade, I've made sure to get people their draft spot at least 24 hours in advance. Any more than that is superfluous. Someone's like, oh, I need a week to prepare my particular draft. You don't because over that week, players are going to move around. ADPs are going to change and you're going to have to change your strategy anyway. But one day is more than enough because you just need time to line up how many guys are actually in my draft pool at each round, at each slot. And then you got to be crossing them off. Rapid fire. Lickety split. Tomorrow, let's do another mock draft. Hell yeah. Let's do another mock draft. Right? You're good with that, aren't you? Yeah, you're good with that. In the meantime, go get yourself a fantasy pass and a sports ethos draft guide. Power this locomotive. Don't you want us to stay in existence? Please. Don't make me go back to doing other stuff. I'm not going to make it in the real world. I'd have to put on pants. Okay. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Enjoy it. Uh, Again, tomorrow we'll do a mock. We'll break it down. Maybe we'll we'll see if anything big jumps out. Last mock, nothing really jumped out. But you're starting to see ADPs bounce around a little bit now. So we might have some more to parse. Got to love a good parsing. All right, I'm Dan Vaspers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Thanks, as always, for listening, everybody. Uh, Biggest August ever in the books, including the one that had basketball games, including the one that had free agency. This is pretty cool. Something amazing is happening. Let's keep growing with your help. Retweet stuff that we send out. Just help spread the word. Appreciate that quite a lot. And if you like the show, if you're newish, drop a five star review on it. Thanks in advance. Talk to y'all tomorrow. So long.